Yo. Morning. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Good, mate. Good. So there's nothing, no big news today. Just the ETF listed, delisted, listed, delisted, yeah, listed, say, delisted. Yeah. Big news if you like the fake and stupid emotional overreaction type, uh, which is what we do here on Twitter or X. Excuse me. Yeah, I didn't. I read somewhere again. So just a disclaimer for everyone. I did not go through the news for today yet, but I did read one thing in the agenda that has been listed since August. <laughs> That's correct. Here's the gist. Uh, basically, there was, quote unquote, huge news that the DCCC had listed IBTC, the BlackRock ticker, which means that BlackRock is taking a step forward, which means that they're going to start seeding the fund, which means they have to start buying Bitcoin. Then apparently it disappeared. Then apparently so many people went to check that it disappeared that it crashed the DTCC website. Then when it came back, it was there and it wasn't there. Then apparently ARC was there, but ARC wasn't actually there. That was completely fake news. And then we found out that all of this had just been sitting there since August. Then then why didn't the market retrace? The, what am I the missing? The market doesn't want to retrace. Right. And, I, and I don't know if it was even on that news that the uh, that the market actually went up in the first place. But I mean, I think there's a lot of interest here, a lot of buying, a lot of uh, institutions really starting to take a look. And I think this is just that moment when, uh, you know, you, if, if you're waiting for that massive dip to 25 or 15 or 10, uh, you might have missed the boat. Yeah, look, I, I just my conclusion is crypto is one of the most confusing things I know in my life. Yeah, and that you was know, the weirdest 48 hours. It, it's like I, you just want those hours back. Luckily, I went and played golf for the first time in like six months yesterday and turned off my phone for five hours. So that that helped me at least uh, not, you know, waste some of my time. You you ruined my sleeping pattern by messaging me that night saying, Mario, uh, messaging us in the group, guys, crypto's pumping, crypto's pumping. But I'm with the kids. I can't do a space. I'm like, shit. I'm like, but Mario, you <laughs> could. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but we do have Raul here. Uh, Raul, how are you, sir? Good, my friends. How are you? Uh, good, good. Are you as confused as, as we are from what happened over the last 48 hours? Uh, well, I think you know by now. I don't, I'm not really fussed about the short-term price. You know, I've been bullish for a while now. And, you know, we always look for the new story that drives price, but really, you know, price is driven by liquidity, price is driven by where you are in the macro cycle, and we got to the point where price should be rising. Um, and so, you know, then we just spin around, and as we saw yesterday with that ridiculousness over, it's listed, it's not listed, nobody cares. It's, it's kind of that point in the cycle. And for me, the point of the cycle is, you know, interest rates keep going up or the bond market has kind of lost control a bit. And the crypto market is kind of forward-looking and saying, well, if you carry on doing that, well, the banks are going to keep collapsing. And if that happens, we'll have to get more cowbell and more stimulus. So it's just kind of positive for crypto markets overall that react very well to that. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I, you know, I just always step back, look at the log trend of all of this stuff over time, and um, it just plays out over time. So I'm always very relaxed about this stuff. I think it's very. It's yeah, Ryan Ryan's up. here. I think. Go ahead. I'm here, guys. I'm here. Well, I know you. I know that you. We had a, a chat on my show um, not so long ago, and that's exactly what you said. You just zoom out. The, the trend is up. Now let's start looking for the news stories to actually feed this frenzy. 
Exactly. I mean, I mean, the news story everybody's anchored on right now, and again, these are just narratives the market's leaning into is, is the ETF. And the ETF itself, how I think about it, my, my mental framework for it is, it's not start ETF, gazillion dollars go in, we all get rich and buy Lambos. How I think of it is, this is a trade deal between the crypto economy and the TradFi economy. So once that trade deal is done, it's now down to whether the TradFi uh, economy investors want to then invest in this other economy. And really, for that to happen, you need liquidity because nobody's got any cash because everybody's broke. Um, so you need that kind of stuff and you need expected future returns. And what that really means is FOMO. <laughs> yeah, Raul, Raul, same, I've, really. I've seen a whole lot of people comment that we're going to get that TradFi would start off by putting 1% of their investable assets into an asset class and then maybe go to up to 2%. Like from your experience, is it a crypto bros ambitious thing to say that the people are just, that we're going to get one up to 1% of their investable assets in the first, say, 12 months? Or is that a, a realistic assumption? Um, it, again, it depends how the market's trading. So if the market's very positive, you know, the RAAs, that, that, that ETF really is for RAAs. The RAAs will get their clients into the space. RAAs don't like getting their clients into um, holding crypto because they don't get any fees on it. But this they get fees for, assets under management. So they will, um, you know, they will promote it if they think the price is rising. Over, over the space, I mean, it's interesting how the same conversation from this cycle, the previous cycle, and the previous cycle, all are, well, the institutions are coming, they haven't come. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time speaking to all these guys, and most of the institutions have done the work on it. Um, they're trying to figure out where it fits. The pension funds are further down the track, but people like Texas Teachers Retirement System, they're already you know invested in the space, but not in, in tokens themselves, more in the VC space and some of the hedge fund space. Um, we, so we are seeing them coming in various ways. But what the ETF does is bring the hordes of RAAs financial advisors, and those kind of people who don't want to set up crypto accounts. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, another question, I guess, is how aggressive do you think the sales force is going to be in actually pushing uh, Bitcoin? Do you think that like Larry Fink on TV saying crypto is a flight to safety, et cetera, do you think that that's like, you know, is Larry Fink being a marketer or is, is, that, is it genuinely like how he feels? What we do know, if you remember, go back to the bull market in 2021 or maybe even 2020, Rick Reader, um, who's, who runs their fixed income portfolios and strategic asset allocation stuff, had allocated to Bitcoin back then. And Larry Fink was saying, you know, we saw record number of hits onto our website. So, so if his biggest risk taker um, already has or has had crypto positions and he can see the marketing opportunity to capture a large share of a new asset class. I mean, he will go for it. And, you know, whether Larry believes that people need an escape or not, he knows that that meme is real. And it, 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 it matters to a lot of people. So he's saying, well, here we are. But, you know, it, it, in this weird world, nobody's actually using the escape valve. They're using the escape valve of price, but not the escape valve of, I need to get my assets out of the system which is, you know, if you hold it yourself. So uh, my guess is he's, he, 
he probably sees the systems a bit screwed, but his job is to sell this stuff. And he, he's got a new product that he can raise, you know, $10 billion of assets. Of course, he'll, he'll go out and tell the people what they want to hear. Okay. And I mean, I've read different versions of where we're at in this bull market. We are 100% up from the bottom. We are still 50% away from the top. Um, you could probably argue that the, the, the bottom happened sometime around November last year, and we've been in a 10-month uptrend. How long do you think the cycle lasts? Well, the work I've done suggests all the cyclicality of everything is all the same thing. It's this macro cycle, this everything code, where everybody in the world reset interest rates to zero in 2008. Bitcoin was born at the same time. The halving plus the business cycle is all exactly the same. It's all in sync. It's also exactly the same as the presidential cycle. They're all the same thing. So for that to change, something needs to change, and I don't see that having happened. So therefore, we're more likely to see a repeat of this cycle, which means 20, end of 2025 is likely to be the peak, and then we come up in 26, 27, unless something changes. Now, there could be a change on this horizon, which could be that interest rates don't rise um, in the next cycle, even though inflation will pick up again because inflation is cyclical. And if that is the case, because the Fed do yield curve control, then assets will continue into the next cycle. But that's not a prediction. But 2025 is where it should finish. Um, and we should get more cyclicality in the economy again. Scott, Mario? Yeah, I mean, Raul, we talked about the four-year cycle on, on Monday. Raul and I, for full transparency, recorded an hour on Monday, which comes out next uh, Sunday. But we talked about the four-year cycle in crypto, but you sort of point out, pointed out that it aligned with a number of other four-year cycles. Yeah, well, I think it was you and I who actually came across holy shit, it's actually the election yep. cycle we, as well. we, we, we came um, to that conclusion together. But you were saying, yes, exactly, that we ended on it being the election cycle, but you were first making the point that it was other things as well. Yes, because, because what happened in 2008, it was a debt jubilee, right? So the Great Reset happened, and what they did was say nobody has to pay interest on their debt, which was zero interest rate policy. And what happened is every government refinanced – so these are all of the major economies, the EU, the US, the UK, uh, China, Japan, everybody kind of refinanced in this three to five year horizon. So did all the corporates. And that three to five year gives you like this. It's about a three and a half year business cycle. And so the ISM, which is the best guide to the, to the kind of GDP growth where it's going, is the same cycle. So everything, because everybody reset debts and rolls their debts at the same time, has the problem. So here we are today. What we're seeing is bond yields going up. Why? It's going up not because of inflation. Inflation was killed a while ago. What's actually happening is we're having to issue new bonds to pay the interest on the old bonds, but the interest costs have gone up a lot, so you need to issue even more bonds. And that is spooking the market. And this is the exact thing about the everything code I looked at is when I actually look at the growth of the central bank balance sheets, it has basically been done for two purposes. One is to paper over any cracks in the financial system. That's a direct stimulus from the Federal Reserve into the banks. And we saw that recently, and we may well see it again in the coming yeah, month or two 
as the BKX keeps going down. But the other thing, the actual majority of what the central bank balance sheet is, is the monetization of the interest payments from the last cycle. So if we go back to the last cycle, which was the last crypto bull market, what was going on? That was the pandemic massive stimulus. All of that now has to be refinanced. Trillions of dollars of it, literally trillions of dollars. And the issue with that is rates have gone up to 5%. They were zero at that point. The only way of doing this is sticking it on the Fed balance sheet. So the Fed need to orchestrate um, lower rates to start making it easier to refinance the debt and have an excuse to use the balance sheet. The excuse for me is potentially the, you know, some something else breaking in the banking sector that gives them the cover to do it, or inflation undershooting, which is why I think they're in the higher for longer category. But this four-year cycle is literally everything, which is why I call it the everything code. It all fits together. It's all of the asset cycles, you know, from technology to crypto to equities to commodities. It's the election cycle. It's the Bitcoin halving cycle. It is the thing. Yeah, when you line it up, it's it's actually pretty astounding. So I, I guess let's dig into the weeds more on the actual crypto market and the market with Bitcoin right now. You kind of alluded to the fact I said the same thing at the beginning. Why did it go up? Because it wants to go up, and it's time to go up. And maybe that's time for that. That that's a result of that exact cycle that you just described. But then, where do you put in context Bitcoin versus everything else in the market? And in your mind, why are we seeing certain things? Very few of them, but truly outperform Bitcoin at this moment, while obviously I think the rest of the market sort of suffers as Bitcoin dominance rises. So I've been a big proponent of the fact that everything is macro. And people get lost in their own space, whether it's commodity space, credit space, (coughs) crypto space, equity space, they kind of get lost because they think that those fundamental narratives matter more. They don't. It's the macro. It's this cycle. But there's another thing that happens within cycles. It's the risk curve. And it happens everywhere in equities, it happens in credit, it happens in currencies, it happens everywhere. So what is that risk curve? So if you think about it in bond market terms, when people start buying bonds, they usually buy US treasuries first. When they start to think, hey, the US economy is recovering, things look better, they go further out the risk curve, they buy junk bonds, and then they buy emerging market junk bonds, and then they do private sector lending. It's pretty much the same cycle every time. And then it all blows up again because the cycle turns over and and rinse repeat. The same happens in the crypto cycle. So crypto spring is the same as macro spring. Um, Crypto spring is when generally Bitcoin outperforms. Once we start transitioning into late crypto spring towards crypto summer, which is where I think we are today, That late crypto spring, you tend to see the other larger tokens start outperforming uh, Bitcoin. Now, ETH has not yet outperformed. It's been underperforming, as it should have done at this point in the cycle. But it's very close to the point where ETH starts rebounding and starts outperforming Bitcoin. And I'll give you a narrative why that will happen in a sec. But then also the market starts to look for who is the next anointed one. The next anointed one. Last time around was Ethereum, if you remember. You know, Ethereum was down 97% from its 2018 high. Um, and then we saw a 47x rally um, in Ethereum, where it became by far and away the kind of dominant ecosystem in, in this kind of broader Web3 perspective. So the market's searching for that narrative 
Um, and that's where we're starting to see certain tokens come alive, Solana, Chainlink, uh, a few others. Um, and that's, again, the risk curve playing out. People want to take a bit more risk now. They feel like the bottom is in. So therefore, if the bottom is in, I want to start taking risk. So why are we likely to see the bottoming of the ETH Bitcoin cross rate? Well, it's pretty simple to me because humans are generally predictable. So right now, everybody's front running the Bitcoin ETF. ETF's coming out. It's a nice, simple narrative. Everyone piles into Bitcoin. It's, it's, macro, it's macro and crypto spring. It's Bitcoin's time to shine. Great. Now, let's assume in three weeks' time, four weeks' time, the actual announcement of the ETF comes out. Uh, what will everybody do? I will bet my life on it. Everybody's going to go, well, the, e the uh, ETH ETF's coming next. And we'll see the switch because that's risk-seeking behavior that happens at that point in the cycle. So for me, it's it's generally predictable. Obviously, these things aren't perfect. They're not clockwork, stuff like that. But that's that's generally how the market works. Then what happens as you get into crypto summer, then you get to the full altcoin season. That's when everything goes up. We're seeing already stuff like Pepe going up. But that's when pretty much everything just explodes higher and, you know, anything with a cheaper price, you know, retail buys it in the hope that it's going to be the new big thing. Uh, and that's the full altcoin season. We're also starting to see the rise of DeFi season. That's very typical early stage, end of spring uh, DeFi season. We're seeing many of those, Uniswap, Aave, all of that kind of stuff uh, picking up as well. So, again, that's a traditional narrative. And then I think it transitions into the everything, everywhere, all at once cycle, because we've got so many of these narratives where many people have built great businesses and applications that will be revealed over the coming two years. So, Raul, you're, you're, you're saying altcoin season. I hope the mic is okay. Altcoin season will be June, mid next year. It's kind of the last leg of the bull run. And then, um, but when do you think? No, he's the last leg of the bull runs 25, by the way, not 24. Not, not 25, but the last leg would be like, so you go through, you know, signing with Bitcoin, then you look at ETH and you look at other top coins, and then it finally goes through into, you know, DeFi season and, and, uh, and altcoin, you know, projects launching and, and what's the next big thing. It's kind of the last, not the last leg, but the, the last thing to follow Bitcoin. Is that, is that fair? That's, when, that's when you're in the full retail driven bull market. That's the other thing. Is the other thing I've not talked about is NFTs. NFTs are an asset within the ETH economy. If you look at right now, um, the Nasdaq and S and P bottomed back in um, October last year. Um, they've been going up a lot. Uh, certainly, the Nasdaq's gone up a lot. But house prices, the price of Rolex watches, and other stuff lag. Why? Because the economy, the equities lead the economy. And um, the economy is still slow and nobody's got any money. So nobody's buying Rolex watches. In fact, they're selling them. NFTs work in exactly the same way. They're an asset within the digital economy. So eventually, when people have got money, they'll start buying crypto punks and start showing them off. And, you know, the same as everybody. I don't think so. I don't think they're coming back to punks. But to be honest, I don't think they're coming back to punks. Uh, Mario, you're finally, you can NFT let somebody person. else do this. Go ahead, Raul. Please teach him something. I've tried. He's a lost cause. I love yeah, NFT, I think it, but he can't we just have into NFTs. The, he'll, be, the he'll be sporting his punk. In 2025, he'll have his punk and he'll be 
you know, living and breathing NFTs. But the only way I get a punk, the only way I get a punk is if one of you gift me a punk, and even even if you do, it will live in my wallet for a very short period of time. Do you buy watches, Ren? I have one watch. Um, I don't see the point in getting more than one watch because as much as I really love fine time pieces, unfortunately, I can only wear one at a time and I'm a very clumsy person in that I, I know I can't lock, look after things. So I know that I, my watch will get stolen and I know that I will leave it lying around somewhere or something like that. Raul, Rand, Rand is not a consumer. It's actually one of, I think, his most impressive qualities. Is that correct, Rand? I mean, we've talked about this in the past. You're just not the type of person to you buy You don't reward yourself things. with something when you... I do, I do, Rand, but, but I just... Buy, yeah, I just, I, I mean, I, like, I don't get... The, like, okay, like, I, I don't really like fast cars. Um, that doesn't really do anything for me. Like, I've got a Jeep. The best thing I like about the Jeep is that I can crash into whatever I want and not even know that I've crashed. Um, you know, it's cool. So that, that works for me. I'm, I think Scott's right. I'm not a consumer. I don't wear jewelry. I don't have many timepieces. It's, it's not me. But I also... Look, you also live in South Africa. Yes. And, but I don't... But I don't... Um, I mean, Raul's right. You know, in South Africa, we've got a very high crime rate. You know, having... There's, a, there's this thing here called the Rolex gang. And if you wear Rolex, you could lose your wrist or you could lose your watch or, you, you know, they do, they do follow people around and, and steal their Rolex. So that, that, is, that is definitely... A- but, but please, but, but, but Ryan, keep telling us why living in South Africa is much nicer than living in the US. I, think, I can't wait for that discussion next time. <laughs> you want to make this about me? You know, you invite a high-profile guest to share his views uh, about crypto and, and you make the, the podcast about me. You offend, you, offend, you offend my punk, my identity, who I am. Raul has, a, has an ape as a profile picture and who thought, you offended him. No, he oh, didn't they, offend they, me. They, Ran couldn't offend me at all, ever. Well, I, I'm offended then, Raul. It's just me alone. Um, Raul, talking about punks and apes, uh, I want to talk about VC funding, which I keep mentioning in Scott and Ran always, you know, hit their face and saying, not again. But when do you think VC sentiment will change? Because uh, we're seeing the market do it well, but VC is still very conservative. Mario changed this month. I guarantee you when we go back to the stats, I guarantee you when they show the stats for October, the uptick started in October. I'm, I'm willing to put any money you want because I can see the projects that we're working with all of a sudden are going out and raising their rounds, which I haven't been able to raise in the last three months. Yeah, I'm starting to see some VCs. The issue is, is the VCs don't have money. Um, so we're starting to see some VCs raising. I know, you know, Dan Tapiero has been out raising for his 1RT fund. Um, there's a few people raising, but people haven't got a lot of money. So they're knocking on the doors of the institutions. The institutions are still papering over the cracks, over the PE portfolios who are asking for more money. So money's still tight, but I think Ran is right. I mean, I think people are starting to see through the other side. There is some funding coming in from anybody who's got some money, but the mass capital raising hasn't happened yet. That really kicks off probably by the summer of 2024, where suddenly you'll see somebody raises another you know, billion dollar you know, crypto VC fund. But it's, it's not really happening yet. The only space we've seen it is, um, is the AI and kind of deep tech space. Uh, Raul, what could change things in your mind? So you've told us about why you think we'll see a bull market uh, by next year and how that bull market could look like. I've got two questions for you. Maybe dig into, before asking us what what could change um, uh, your projections, the first question is, what will this bull market look like? Something me, Scott, and Ran debated heavily. Will we have the same greedy bull market as we've had before? Or now with regulation, we've learned our lesson and things will be quieter. We won't have the same craziness we've seen previously. Oh, people lose their fucking minds as ever. Um, no, I don't think anything changes. 
it's the same liquidity cycle. You know, you'll be seeing, you know, Tesla up 5x from here, crypto up wherever it gets to. You know, as long as there's liquidity in the system, there's risk-seeking behavior currently. Um, and that, I don't think, changes. There's obviously a possibility that it's wrong. This everything code cycle doesn't repeat. Um, but even then, the adoption of the technology keeps going forwards. You know, we're seeing some really big breakthroughs happening, some big partnerships, and we're seeing the financial system moving quite rapidly towards integration of black blockchain technologies across the tech stack within finance. So the adoption keeps going up. Um, so that's why it's in an exponential trend over time that gets exacerbated by the business cycle that really gives the big push. So let's assume that Raul is a total moron. The business cycle doesn't do as I expect. We still get rising prices just from the adoption of the technology. As long as liquidity is not tightening, liquidity tightening significantly, okay, that's more of a problem. But I don't see how that could possibly be the case um, unless there's some random resurgence in inflation. But really to understand the inflation side, you need to understand what drives inflation. Inflation is driven at the short end by commodity prices and things that move up and down. They're all massively deflationary now, starting to, to pick up a little bit from the lows. Um, you know, stuff like copper and stuff's not really gone anywhere, just oil moved a bit. But um, and foodstuffs are still going down. But the real bulk of the inflation story is actually rents and wages. Those things lag by about 18 months to two years. So they keep deflating all the way through, which is why central banks tend to cut rates for at least 18 months after a recession. So generally speaking, inflation should continue to go lower. So unless something dramatically changes, now that's not an oil price shock because the oil price shock actually takes consumption out of the market for normal people because suddenly your gas price has gone up, you spend less. It's actually, it actually tends to drive economic weakness and that brings inflation down over time. So yeah, I'm not really sure what the thing is where it goes horribly wrong. But let's assume that maybe not as much liquidity comes in, but in which case, then we'll get a bull market, but less wild, if that answers your question. Raul, we, you talked about the idea of Ethereum sort of being the anointed one in the last cycle. I actually, I tend to agree with you that Ethereum looks like it's bottoming and there's sort of maximum FUD against it at the moment. So I think it's, it's starting to look very good. But people always ask me what will be the winner of the next cycle. Now, I, I know that you uh, are bullish on Solana conceptually and we can talk about Fire Dancer or we can save that for, for later. Um, but uh, there's also the notion that outside of that one narrative, everything being in Ethereum or maybe everything Solana or, or whatever it's going to be, we usually see these brand new narratives emerge. I always joke that the winner of the next cycle probably doesn't even exist yet, right? So do you think that there are going to be things that emerge and those are the ones that everybody's talking about and are huge and do these, you know, 100,000 X price moves and maybe they're not even in the narrative at all yet? De definitely. Or, 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 or is it, or is it gaming? Because I know you love gaming as much as I do. Uh, actually, I, I'm not a gamer whatsoever, but I get the narrative, and I know it's obviously one of the biggest things on earth. Um, Scott, yes, um, there will be many of those. I have no clue what they are. I have zero edge in that game. I'm just not good enough. I'm good at macro and picking the kind of big bets, the main winners, but the smaller bets, the smaller winners. I think you really need to know what you're doing. You know. You know, everybody's wallet is filled with shrapnel of what they thought was going to be the next big thing, and they FOMO'd into it. Um, 
I've got plenty of the, that shrapnel of shame, as I call it, uh, in my various wallets. My, for most people, don't even bother. Just capture the main trend and you will be absolutely fine. Now, if you have that inner raging degen within you, well, then just put 90% of your money into your main allocation and give yourself a 10% degen. I can screw this up. It can all go to zero, but I'll have fun doing it. Uh, and that's great too. That's that's how I would handle it. Just feed well, in a degen, but not with your whole portfolio. I, I hear you when it comes to selecting individual tokens, and I think I agree with you that either you're going to make it a, a full time thing, or you or you're going to you know and 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 or, or you're not going to do it correctly. But are there certain narratives that you're looking at? Like for me specifically, I'm looking. I'm going back to basics. I'm saying, look, we're going to need layer one blockchain power. Uh, I'm looking at like the fact that the best the use or the biggest use of blockchase is um, transferring stable coins from one place to another. Um, Fiat-backed stable coin from one one place to another. I'm looking at the fact that you know Bitcoin. Is, I mean, blockchain is all about trading, and so I'm investing in exchanges, derivatives exchanges. Are you looking specifically at any narratives? And maybe not individual yeah, coins, but maybe I'm, just I'm, narratives. I'm gonna I'm gonna coin the narrative: everything, everywhere, all at once. I literally think so much money went into VC in the last cycle, and it's not wasted capital, as the narrative would tell you. There is an enormous amount of funding gone into an enormous amount of projects. They could be layer ones, they could be layer twos. They could be interoperability layer, they could be DeFi. They can be game, uh, game. they can be Web3 uh, unlocks, they can be new wallet experiences, um, new stablecoin experiences, everything. And I think all of that, $67 billion of VC that went in in 2021, 2022, basically will bring these new experiences, and it's going to be all of the things. You know, <clears throat> as I said before, finances is gigantic. It's the elephant in the room. And we're seeing so many people building <coughs> within the financial industry. I'm not talking DeFi here. I'm talking the biggest players in the world. Excuse me. Um, and so I think the finance system, the kind of <coughs> Web3 NFTs, I mean, this, uh, and I'm not trying to shill Solana, but this Solana compressed NFTs of being able to have a million NFTs for a hundred bucks, basically is cheaper now than ticketing. So that technology unlocks all of ticketing to go to NFTs. It unlocks a lot of things. So that's why I think I think we will have a lot of luck with a lot of our um, with a lot of our kind of hypotheses from the last cycle. Metaverse, we're seeing what Apple is about to launch. We know where Meta themselves are going and we're seeing other projects. So that interoperability of, of assets that you need to navigate in this new kind of AR, VR world, that's coming. Gaming, we're seeing a lot of action in gaming, a lot of people building Web3 gaming stacks and Web3 assets. So, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be everything. It's going to be a bit head spinning, much like the AI revolution has been in the last six to nine months. It's kind of had everybody's head spinning to get, to get their, their minds around what's going on. I think, I think it's going to be everything, everywhere, all at once. Don't you think that, that there's some um, slowdown in the, 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 the veracity of the, BIM, of the bull market because of regulation, because, um, you know, 
it's becoming harder and harder and harder to, to list shit coins because exchanges are clamping down a little bit more because they're a little bit more scared. Don't you think that's going to slow things down and kind of like make it much more of a normal market? And the reason why I ask this is, you know, I look at the NASDAQ and I look specifically at the NASDAQ from, you know, pre-2000, 2000, 2001.com collapse and then 15 years to get back to where we got to today. And I look at every other technology cycle and in most other technology cycles, you've had one crazy bull market, then you've come down and then slowly, 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 you've gone back up to, to the levels of that bull market. Do you not think that like to expect crypto to keep having these violent bull markets is a bit of a wishful thinking? No. So the adoption of the technology, I've been following the adoption curve of Bitcoin for quite a long time now and post about it frequently. The growth rate of the adoption of, of the technology is averaging out about 100 and something percent a year, uh, depending where you are in the cycle. And last year, in a down 80% market, um, the actual adoption grew 42%. So we are at 425 million active addresses in crypto, and that is only going to grow. It's going to grow because stable coins, CBDCs, the finance system building on it, uh, Web3 applications and unlocks, ticketing, gaming, all of these things. And so it goes from 400 million users, which is still early, right? That's, that's what, uh, 10, 10%, yeah, it's 5% of the world population. And the next time you look back, we'll have a billion users. And then you're like, okay, now this is serious. That's an eighth of the world. And then, so we are not there yet. 5% doesn't give you stability and, and lower volatility. That comes later. So my bet is that comes after kind of 2030 uh, when we start to see then, you know, CBDCs uh, rolled out at scale and seeing at that point, you know, 2 billion people using blockchain technology. Then after then, you start to see that. But we still see the NASDAQ still technology overall. The NASDAQ still does something like, 25% returns a year. I mean, it's still massive um, because of the technolo technological adoption that goes on with new technology. So, yeah, no, I think this goes on for a while. Does it look like, you know, each bull market in Bitcoin is less frenetic than the last? I think that, that makes total sense. But smaller tokens, because they're less liquid, they will be as frenetic as the early days of Bitcoin were. Um, and it just keeps rolling through until we get some sort of closer to a steadier state but that we're a long way from that yeah um, go ahead i was Mario. gonna ask about i was gonna ask about nfts uh well we, we, we kind of mentioned apes and punks and people like to dismiss nfts at least as a term that is dead as a technology that has a future how do you think the nft ecosystem will look uh, mid next year well i think everybody's still too narrow in their understanding of what an nft is Every single thing we do as humans is basically organized by a contract, whether it's a verbal, uh, societally understood, or written contract. So that's me turning up today. This was an email, but it was a contract between us to say, hey, uh, you know, we'd like you here, and I commit to doing it. Everything we do is contract. Society is organized by contracts. The legal system is organized by contracts, everything. What NFTs allow you to do is, is have a trusted source of contractual truth now that could just be a ticket for a concert but it could also be an otc derivative a complex option which is basically a unique contract uh, that has certain types of rules governed by it 
So for me, NFTs are much bigger than people understand. The entire NFT space, I think uh, 6529 put out a post this morning or yesterday, you know, it's still about yeah, $8 billion or something. It's, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And when we look back in 10 years' time, we'll go, really, we missed the fact that this was a multi, multi hundred billion dollar market um, because contracts are going to go in the digital world. Digital, simple as that. So let's go back. Okay, so that's the broader concept. What does it mean for our JPEGs? Usually, like all crypto cycles, a whole bunch of this stuff is worth absolutely zero. Um, and I would say 99% of everything that came out in the last cycle was worth zero, much like ICOs were worth zero. And, you know, a lot of stuff was worth zero. But within it, there are things that endure. Now, again, this becomes very difficult and complicated what endures. Some endurance is easy. You know, stuff like Beeple or Xcopy Art or some of the high-end art market, well, that's relatively easy. But these things are bloody expensive as they are. Then you've got punks. They're a status symbol. And I don't think that goes away. Apes, high risk to them. Let's wait and see. You know, Yuga needs to perform. If, you know, but even if... Um, Yuga went bust, then maybe they even have more value. Yeah, Yuga goes bust or whatever. They have more value because they become a snapshot of a moment in time that is forever recorded that we're all participating in. So overall, I do think the uh, I think the NFT market's bottomed or bottoming uh, here. And that's that 18-month lag, roughly, or 15-month lag um, from when the well, ETH bottomed in June of last year. So around now would be a perfect timing for um, for NFTs to bottom, I think they have, and then they they will have the NFT spring, which will be messy. Doesn't nobody believes it? You know, just like we've gone through with crypto, and then eventually you have NFT summer, which will be 2025 probably, or this time in 2024. Mario, I was telling Raul and I when we were talking on Monday, we're we're discussing that spaces we had not long ago. Ran, you guys remember where literally the entire stage was PFPs, and it was like all these huge collectors and founders of projects and every one of them thought it was over. Do you remember Mario? And that's when you, and that's sorry about the background, but that's when you became, that's when you became bullish Scott. It's like for the first time, Scott was bullish on PFPs more than people that had a PFP as their profile picture. Those, uh, part, they those NFTs so, profile picture. They were so depressed. It was a few months ago. They were so. It was a beautiful, Scott. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it? This is exactly what we look for. It was a beautiful. I don't know if you ended up buying. You ended up sweeping some floors, buying some NFTs, but that was I exactly didn't. what a bear market means. Like it, you should. That's what a bear market is. That's what we wait. For. Every bull market, we say we're gonna wait for the market to crash. We're gonna wait for everything to be down 95 percent. Everyone to be depressed. That's what we're gonna buy. But then every time this happens, we just chicken out. You just chickened out again. Right, and also, I mean, Raul, like to your point, I think. The floor is probably in, especially in dollars, right? Because if we think that we're going into a bull market and Ethereum is going to rise, you know, the ETH price may stay the same or drop, but it's still going to cost you more if you're trading in dollars, right? Yeah, I think that I think that's right. It probably outperforms dollars for a bit, and then eventually we'll get the kicker effect on top of ETH, you know, where punks go from wherever they are now, um, and then they triple or quadruple or five x versus ETH, and you can make a lot of money in that. In that time, it's that call option on ETH element that some of these um, collections have. And again, it's a very basic human thing. People start making money in crypto. We're all feeling like we're going to make it. So we want to go out and buy something to celebrate. So we start buying punks. 
um, and there's only 10,000 of them. So the price squeezes higher, which makes people want them even more. And off we go. It's the same old rinse and repeat. But, you know, these things have value to people and that's fine. Rand, are you convinced yet? We need Rand. No, I'm not convinced. No, I'm not convinced. Oh, come on. That's, You're not going to convince that's, me. That's, <laughs> Rand, it's fine. I respect you for that. That's okay. Don't I'm, the Peter Schiff. I'm the Peter Schiff of, uh, uh, of, of, of NFTs. I'll never be convinced. Okay, what about – let's go deeper on that then. Not, not to Rand, but even Travel specifically. Okay, so maybe – We've seen the hype bubble of 10,000 NFT collection, PFP. Can I, can I, can, Ishtar, do you mind if Raul and I have a conversation about this? Please, I'm very, I would love I'm to. Very, oh, I, I wasn't convinced by Mario's argument at all. Raul, I'd like to make my case for NFTs or against certain NFTs. And then if I'm really, really, really open-minded if you can convince me. Mario's argument previously didn't convince me. Um, but I think that you're a much bigger intellect than Mario, and I respect your opinion a lot more than I respect Mario's <laughs> opinion. So, so, so I'm very happy to have a discussion with you. So this is my, this is my issue with, with NFTs. First of all, I want to say at the onset that I think NFT technology is absolutely incredible, and it's going to absolutely change the world. I think every single license document, identification document, um, a concert ticket. I can go on and on and on and on. I think every single one of those is going to be an NFT. I think that every human is going to have an NFT identity where they're going to be able to, to uh, uh, pay gate their data, which is all owned in that single NFT piece of technology. And I think the list of use cases for NFT technology goes on and on and on and on. And for that, I'm super, super, super bullish. And that's why I remain a big investor in NFT exchanges, in NFT lending platforms and stuff like that, because I really believe in the technology. However, what I don't believe in is the NFT JPEG, which people bought, which was computer generated, and people bought this because they thought that they were part of the club. And I'm going to explain. So, and and when I list that, I mean things like punks. I mean things like apes. I mean things like doggies. Uh, all those other all dick butts, vaginas. I saw many, many, many collections uh, like that. And I'll tell you why I don't believe in it fundamentally. So I've been a part of many clubs. And when I'm a part of a club, I share a certain passion point or real point of interest or culture with the people in that club. The first club I was a part of was I was a club of males. The next Part I was a club of, I was a part of the Caucasian club. Then I became a part of the Jewish club because I was born Jewish. Then I became a part of the school educated slash university educated club. Then I became part of the Harvard club. Then I became, and each, at each step of the way, I, the club got more niche and more in my interests and people that were part of my interests and my culture. So I'll give you the, one of the ultimate clubs. I was part of YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And that was a club of people who, under the age of 35, managed to build businesses with a certain turnover and a certain amount of staff. And it was a very, very, very exclusive club. And it gave you a whole lot of perks and accesses. But in all those points, we all worked hard to get into the club. 
And I shared certain values and, and culture and traditions and with the people in the club. Now, my problem with these NFTs is that you don't share any value or any culture. It's just the fact that you all decided to buy a collection which was generated by a computer of, a, of pictures. And what we're realizing now is that actually the people in these clubs have zero similarities. I've met people in the board ape club and I thought to myself, if I would have bought this ape, would I have any value of being in a club with this guy? And the answer was absolutely not. And so I just, that is where my thesis, where I turned around and I said, you're all saying that you're part of this club, but you don't believe that there's no fundamentals of this club. It's just pictures. There's no values. There's no, there's none of that. You sound like a boomer saying that Bitcoin has no value because it's not a real asset. Now, I thought, I thought we could have, I thought we could have a, a, an honest intellectual conversation, but now, now you've that. just stooped to Mario levels. <laughs> you see what I went through, Raul. You see what I went through. It was like talking to a wall for 30 minutes. No, it was one me, of my worst yeah. days. Ran. Um, Yes, in the concept of which you understand the framework of what a club and a society is, that may be valid for you. But for other people, this is an identifier as part of a cultural movement of which we proudly belong to. So a punk is not, I mean, I'm actually on a, a Telegram chat of most of the punks, and there's a lot of interaction between them, meetups, helping each other out doing stuff. But it's not about that for me. It's basically a cultural signifier saying I'm part of a movement. I'm part of this and I believe in this movement. And so that signifier is something I proudly carry, whether it's my age And or the my people pun. in this movement believe in what? The people in the movement believe what in... Is the fabric, what is the fabric that, that, that combines all They believe these? in Web3, which is a decentralized That's digital cool. that world. Bitcoin, no, that, that club's called Bitcoin. That no, called, that, I don't need to own an ape. I believe in that and I'm, I'm no, proud of it. So Bitcoin doesn't enable Web3. Web3 is a much broader concept. And you're a marketing person, uh, an advertising person. You ETH. understand ETH is just the underlying infrastructure rail, but the applications layer is the NFT. So if you said to me, hey, listen, I think NFTs are going to be enormous. I don't disagree. So humans like culturally significant things that mark that they were part of this, this massive rise. And what they will do is they will own NFTs. So if we go back to a different cultural generation, let's say the baby boomers, the baby boomers, their cultural thing really became some of the artwork that came out of that period. That's why Warhol is worth such a fortune. It has no real value. It is actually just paint on a piece of paper. It's actually valueless. But we hold a cultural premium to that because it matters. And these things matter. Digital objects matter to many of us. So some of these are enabling, you know, for example, we use NFTs at Real Vision for token-gated content. So if you're a member of the Real Vision Collective, you use it, you, you can then unlock content and use it as your membership path. Fine. That's not there to drive speculative value. It's just utility value. But speculative value will always accrue to humans because they always seek it, because they seek prestige via assets. Now, behind this is the fact that the digital art movement is really real. 
there's an extraordinary revolution going on in digital art, generative art. And you, you know, you dismiss computer generated art, much like people, you know, people dismissed Warhol or, or, you know, other artists where they didn't understand the concepts of what these people were saying, but other people did. And they said, well, I understand it. Therefore I want to own it. Therefore I want to show it off and I will pay hundreds of millions of dollars for this stuff. We're seeing that in the digital art market. I mean, there's an amazing you know, Refik who's got the uh, the incredible display in MoMA. I mean, that's a huge moment for the world because MoMA said this has been the most successful exhibition we've had in years. It's the first time we've ever had in MoMA a young generation coming to look at art again. So, okay, there's a cultural significant moment that maybe you haven't seen it because you're thinking of it through one lens, which is the club. When it's not, it's the culture. Oh, I'm not convinced, but I hear you. I hear you. I mean, you know, I think we just again, from advertising ran, ran. I think you did it. From, from ad- advertising ran, you know that culture is everything. The difference between yes. a Nike, the difference between a Nike and another set of trainers is fuck all. Culture. It's culture. Yeah, it's culture. It's culture. I agree with you, but I don't see how NFTs create culture. Um, and but, you know, we, maybe it's no, really... not for us to say, right? It's not for us to say. Culture is. It is not for us to say. I mean, it's Josh Wolf, the VC, says, you know, some of the best investments he's ever made are the ones when he hears parents say, this will rot your brain to their kids. And he's, as soon as he hears that, he knows it's going to be massive. Like TikTok mm-hmm. became culture. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. TikTok started with people singing and dancing. It's lu- ludicrous. But it became cultural. And it's, I can think of it as ludicrous, but I can't denigrate all of those people who find TikTok an engaging um, and interesting, rewarding experience. It's not my role to say, you guys are wrong, I'm right. It, my role mm. is merely to observe it and say, yeah, I don't get it, but I'm observing it and I can see it has cultural relevance to you. Same with music. You may absolutely hate a certain type of music. Think, why the fuck do people like this? And then before you know it, it's massive. And it matters. Why do people pay so much for Taylor Swift tickets? It's because it's a cultural moment in time. It matters to them to mark their lives. All right. I'm, I'm feeling a bit warmer. I'm feeling, I, I'll, concede, I, I'll concede that, uh, that, that uh, Raul did a much better job on me than Mario. Mario, feeling, sell I'm your fe- punk, Rand. I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling a bit warmer. I'm feeling a bit warmer. Uh, Raul, I wanted to ask you another question unrelated to NFTs. Uh, you gave us your outlook for crypto. What are some things that could you know, change your outlook for the worse over the next six to 12 months? What are some things we should be on the lookout for? You talked about a, a credit crunch uh, getting worse, for example. Um, any other indicators for us? Say, All right, cool. Now we should be worried again. So credit crunch is positive because it means that the Federal Reserve need to stimulate more cowbell. So I, I think that as a positive. The only one is the one that captures everybody's imagination all day and all night, which is war. You know, what happens if we go to kinetic war with China or what happens if, you know, I, I actually choose to discount that. Having been, lived 30 years in macro and seen the cries of war every five years or so in my career and seeing everybody get utterly captivated at the end of the world is nigh and we're all going to die and all assets are going to zero. Uh, mark my words, my friend, you see this is all wrong. I, I just discount it. I'm like, fine, if we're going to do that, We've got bigger problems on our bloody hands than the value of our crypto. So I, I kind of ignore that. So 
really, it does something disrupt the overall macro outside of the death of everybody living human on the planet. Um, and for that, we would have to see something really change. Maybe economic growth wildly accelerates, which I think it will actually accelerate, but I think we've got the, the slow part to still come. And interest rates never come down, and then interest rates go up to 10%. But even then, that rate of change of interest rates from 5.5% to 10% is much less than what we've just come from. So the rate of change matters a lot. Um, so I, I, I don't see it. I don't see why the business cycle, which op, you know has operated for the last 100,000 years, why it stops. I just, I just don't see it. Um, sometimes assets don't recover. And we've seen that with many emerging markets, European stock markets, Japanese stock markets took a very, very long time. That's usually after a, an, a bubble of such gigantic proportions and then a breaking of the economy driven by demographics. So we see that particularly in Europe where the aging population doesn't buy equities anymore. Um, and you know it's a much older population and that slows everything down. So that's possible, but you know, I also eye the rise of AI and say, well, our demographic problems are now solved because robots and AI are demographics, and we can now have infinite people or productive units in the uh, in the workforce, and that's a net very positive thing. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm pretty sanguine. I think it just looks like a normal, um, just like a normal cycle. That's pretty bullish. Um, Scott, Rand, any other questions? I think Rand dropped. I think Rand is so depressed after that discussion about NFTs. <laughs> he just dropped out. He's just I mean, screw this. I'm going to like buy a punk. Got, I was going to say, did it make you feel like you wanted to sell your punk? Because now uh, me, you can sell uh, <laughs> The day Ran enters NFTs is the day that the peak is there and, and you should sell your NFTs. That's my uh, indicator that we're speaking. photo becomes a PFP. That's it. He can buy quietly, but the minute that he's a, he becomes an ape, I think, is our uh, top signal. And we can say this now because he's not here. Yeah, but I think, Raul, your, your outlook, um, I, I like your answer to the question. Like, even during war, um, is there any chance uh, during wartime that Bitcoin becomes a store of value during times of uncertainty? Because looking at kinetic war between uh, the superpowers is something we haven't experienced in a very long time. I, is that a possibility in your opinion? Um, look, um, again, I don't really want to think about a kinetic war between superpowers, but, no, but the say, focus, the focus more like whether Bitcoin as a store of values is it, it during extreme uncertainty A war being one example, um, yes, is something I, that I, I believe that to be the case. And, you know, I was in Europe during the European sovereign debt crisis. Um, we had a lot of civil unrest and then we saw, um, Cyprus happen where, Money was basically stolen out of everybody's accounts uh, to pay the government's bills or the obligations of the banks. Um, Bitcoin is transferable. If you are in, let's say, you know, RAN is in South Africa, and let's say South Africa society falls apart, the utility of Bitcoin rises massively because you can flee. Um, you get things out of a banking system. You get things, a bearer asset that you can move around with. Those things become extremely valuable. So yes, in, ex in extreme stress, you tend to have the risk-off moment 
And then after that, you tend to get the moment of actually, this is very useful to me. And you know, the more the world tries to separate its trading, you know, that's, that's the rise of stable coins. Most people don't realize it. The stable coins are actually being used a lot by corporations making payments between countries that have um, capital constraints and capital restrictions, you know, South Africa being one of them, um, Indonesia being another, Malaysia being another, China being another. Um, so those people get around it by using stable coins. And that just shows you the utility value of a non-political currency. Cool. On that point, Scott, any final quick words? No, I, I got my hour with Raul uh, already earlier this week, so my questions have been answered. Now, I think Raul is a, is a great chat. Uh, any final words for the audience? Um, you know, it would have been a, a, a final words are good during times of suffering and pain and uncertainty. But I think after the last 48 hours, people are a bit happier. But any final words of advice before we wrap the space? Yeah, look, I, I do honestly believe that we are going through something. Humanity is going through something at a speed that we've never done before, which is this idea of the exponential age. This is this nexus of technology macro, crypto, all at the same time, at a pace that makes our heads spin. I think people need to navigate these times by being optimists. You can invest in your own demise of the AI and the robots. You can take advantage of changes of the new system by investing in crypto. You can get around the debasement of currency by the central banks by using crypto as your rails. You can build new businesses. There's new opportunities everywhere. And the world seems like a horrible, scary, terrifying place, but it's also a world of opportunity. And one thing is, you know, people listen to this, you know, I actually follow this. I've just started a whole new YouTube channel, which is called Raul Pal, The Journeyman, um, which is just me following that journey because I'm trying to learn like everybody else is. Where the hell is this all going? Where's the macro going? Where's the crypto going? Where is the, the technology, the exponential age going? So people, you know, feel free to go and pop over there and, and uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And I'll try and take you on that journey to try and make it less confusing for everyone. Thanks, Charles. Really a pleasure to have you. Um, Scott, any final quick words as well? My final quick words, Mario, is that you need to uh, make your way across the world and head down to the Caymans and uh, go to dinner with Ralph. To, uh, <laughs> I should. I, should. I, I, I don't fly after Ralph. Uh, there's a restaurant <laughs> down there, man. It'll blow your mind. Uh, so, Rob, on, on, a, on a serious note, like I've been watching your videos throughout the bull markets and the bear markets. So, so highly recommend people check out um, check out your platform, uh, Real Vision. And uh, pleasure to have you as always. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, guys. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great fun. Thanks, Ron. Don't forget to send me the invite for the dinner that Scott kind of hinted at. Well, you need to get here first. I'm not paying for your bloody flights. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye.